right, good morning, church. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, December came and so did winter. I am excited about that. Uh, last week had my father-in-law uh, here visiting from California with uh, Jill and the rest, the rest of Jill's family. Was terrified to talk about uh, marriage while my father-in-law was sitting there staring, eyes boring into my soul. Uh, father-in-law's gone, so we're going to talk about the marriage again. Uh, I got married this last June uh, in Jill's hometown uh, of, uh, in Newcastle, California. And then from there, we moved her and her stuff up the luxurious eight-lane highway that is the uh, Alcan. And we had a clear goal, get Jill and her stuff to Soldatna. But how do you do that? How do you accomplish that goal? And how do you measure growth toward that goal? Um, we used to use the old milepost, right? The trusty milepost. Uh, some of you still do. My dad loves the milepost. When we drive, the Alcan has his nose buried in the milepost. Doesn't even look at God's scenery. He just wants to read about it. There's a bridge coming up. And about, yeah, dad, we see the bridge. We just passed over it. Uh, but Jill, uh, now that we, we have moved past that technologically, and Jill's uh, car has one of those GPS fancy things built into it. I joke that I, mo- I married into a newer car and Spotify premium. So I'm just excited about this relationship uh, for a lot of reasons. But um, this new, the GPS in the car, it gives you turn-by-turn navigation. You can essentially just sleep at the wheel. I didn't, but I could have. And as we moved up the highway, we were able to look at this GPS that told us what was coming and next. We set these goals, right? We want to be at this city, we want to be to Prince George by this night, and then this campground by that night, and then the, the GPS would tell us, turn left in 1,000 miles, right? It would navigate us the whole way up the Alcan, and without that thing, we could have never reached our goal, because I am directionally challenged like my mother. My mother was the one that one time was in one place in Pennsylvania trying to get to another place in Pennsylvania and wound up in West Virginia. Your guess is as good as mine. So without this GPS, we were not going to accomplish our goal. But how do you measure growth toward a goal? Well, the principle is that we count what we care about. We count what we care about. If if our goal is to get to a destination, we're going to count the miles on the map. If our goal is to lose weight, then we're going to count pounds. If our goal is to buy something, we're going to count the money saved. If my goal is to end this sermon on time, I'm going to count the minutes and we got we to move. So how do we measure growth in the Christian life? What do we count? What ought we care about? Well, there's a couple of false measuring sticks that we often use in the church that we want to get out on the table. One of the false measuring sticks is programs attended. Programs attended. If I believe that I'm going to please God by being in church every time the doors are open, then I will become a church-attending machine. Like, I'll look in my bulletin and see that we have a community group almost every night of the week, and I'm just going to attend all of the community groups. I'm going to go to men's Bible study and the women's Bible study. Put a wig on, lipstick, we'll figure it out. I will be there. Right? I'll be at both services on Sunday morning, and then I'll slip over to the Bible chapel because I heard they have an evening service. And I'll say, look, God, at my church attendance. I'm growing counting my attendance. Or maybe, maybe another way that we often use a false measuring stick is through performance achieved. Performance achieved. If my goal is to impress God with my external success, then I'm just going to do a lot of things. I'm going to become super Christian, right? So I'll go tithing. Tithing 10%? That's junior varsity Christianity. I'm going to give away 99% of my money. My family and I are going to split a Pop-Tart for the entire day, right? I'm going to give the rest of it away. And then we think that the more we give, or maybe the more that we read the Bible, I'm going to do my 23 and a half hour devotional today. 
And then I'm going to spend 19 hours in prayer after that. Yeah, I know how time works. Super Christians get more hours in their day. I'm going to, I'm going to canvas Soldatna for Jesus. I'm going to give away 500 gospel tracts every day. Look, God, I'm growing as I count my works. Now, we want to note for sure that those are good things, right? Attending church, being in the word, praying to God. They're good things, but, but they fail to address the growth that God is concerned about in our lives. Because what God is concerned about primarily is our hearts. You see, one of my favorite musical artists, Derek Westway, said, you can make your life look good. You can do what Jesus would, right? WWJD. But he says, you'd be surprised what you can do with a hard heart. See, you can come into church every time the doors are open, but while you're there, you're hating everybody you see. Right? You're treating them like garbage, and then you gossip about them when you leave. You could read through the Bible every single day, but if your eyes are just hitting the page in order to impress God and please God, you're not actually understanding it, believing it, applying it. That's not worth anything. That's not growth. What did 1 Corinthians 13 say? Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I give away all I have, not 99%, all of it, and I even, he says, if I deliver up my body to be burned, it sacrificed myself for someone, but have not love, I gain nothing. In Isaiah 1, the prophet said to the people of Israel, and if, if your sacrifices are coming from a wrong heart, it's actually a stench in God's nostrils. He's not just concerned about external performance and attendance. So what should we count? What, what should we care about? How do we measure growth as a Christian? Well, well, how we measure growth depends on what our destination is. Where is it that we're going? And that's exactly what we've been studying. This is our last uh, time together in this series of God's heart for Peninsula Grace. What is our purpose? Why are we at this party? Why did he create us? And one of the things we saw is that ultimately we are created for a love relationship with God. We saw in the first three pages of the Bible, God tells us that we were created to image him. That we are called to walk with God, relate with God, and work with God. That's our purpose. Jesus said, you want to know what true life is? You want to know what real life is? He says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He says, if you want to know real life, and don't we want to know that? What is satisfying life? What is the life that we were created for, purposed for? He says, it all comes down to a love relationship with our God, to know him, to worship him, to love him. That's our purpose. You see, it's not pleasing him with attendance or impressing him with our works. It's about progressing in a love relationship with our maker himself. And the only way to do that is through Jesus, who died for us and was raised to give us new life. And this is the process of discipleship. Is that our goal is to become a disciple of Jesus. And this brings us to the goal that we're measuring growth toward. Given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, verse 28. He said his aim was to present everyone complete in Christ. Now what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be complete in Christ? We need to know it if that's the goal of our lives. Well, the word complete here, it meant to be brought to its end. Here's our destination. Here's where we're moving, growing toward, is to be complete in Christ. The word means wanting nothing, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. That you have everything you need in the person of Jesus. 
And this, is, this word complete, it has the idea of maturity. It means to be full grown, an adult of full age or mature. Now what does it mean that the goal here is this, not just to be a spiritual baby, but a spiritual adult? Well, what does it mean to be an adult? Well, ask any parent. They'll tell you when their child's become an adult, when they move out of the house. Praise the Lord, right? That, that a, an adult is one who's able to function apart from their parents. That they're independent, that they're responsible, that they are mature. See, the goal of discipleship isn't just to get saved. It's, it's not just like the goal of procreating isn't just to have babies. It's to raise independent, mature, responsible adults who can go out and raise other mature, responsible adults. Because at the end of the day, God wants a relationship with us. And he relates better with adults than babies. He does not want a full-grown baby. One of the most disturbing pictures that I've ever, ever come across on Google, Google Images. He doesn't want to have a relationship with a full-grown baby. He wants to relate with adults. And so the goal and growth of discipleship goes back to Jesus' call. We've been talking about the way Jesus measures discipleship in his call to his first disciples. And he gave us three things that we're going to look at this morning. First of all, he said, follow me. This is measuring the head. that We are called to be believing God's word. We're also going to measure our heart. I will make you as we become like Jesus. And then the third measure of growth is going to be to become fishers of men. Measure our hands and feet as we are led by the Holy Spirit. So let's follow along today. The first one is believing God's word. Believing God's word. Our primary way of knowing God as we seek to start to image him and to work with him is going to be through the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, you can't believe God's word. You can't be growing in that area if you're not hearing it, if you're not reading it. But notice the progression here. The goal isn't just to hear God's word or read God's word, but it's to believe God's word. You see, I could read the Bible five hours a day every day, but if someone comes up to me and says, oh man, what have you been learning? And you say, I have no idea. Right? I'm just reading it. James says that's not enough. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. The point of the reading the Bible isn't just to check it off the list and make God happy with us. You've got to know what to do with it. If I'm not believing it, walking in it, applying it, then we've missed the point of reading Scripture. So we're to become workers, three kinds of workers. The first one's an engaged worker, an engaged worker. We need to be in the word. You can follow along with your blanks in uh, your bulletin there. Engaged workers. If you've been in Awana, you would know this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Remember, Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed. How to rightly handle the word of God. Our armor of God, Ephesians 6 says, has one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, or the Word of God. But we need to know how to rightly handle that sword, this verse says. See, rightly handling it, we can win a lot of battles. But wrongly handling it, we can do a lot of destruction to ourselves and other people. See, Braveheart knows how to wield a sword. My five-year-old nephew, Ray, I wouldn't give him anything sharp at this point in his life. So how do we handle this? See, the Bible, it gives us everything we need to know for our lives. The Bible tells us why we're here. The Bible tells us how to grow. The Bible tells us how to navigate difficult decisions, how to know what God's will is, how to deal with suffering, how to approach sin issues in our lives and other people's lives, how to navigate broken relationships. It teaches us how to love. 
God's word rightly handled, the psalm says, is a word, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We cannot move forward in growth if we don't know God's word, if we're not doing God's word. But we need to know how to rightly handle this thing. And for a lot of us, when we hear verses like this, rightly handle the word of truth, we have a little mini stroke. It's like, I don't know how to, I'm Ray here, I'm not Braveheart. I do not know how to handle God's word. But this is why we're called into a gospel-centered community. You have people that are here to help you know how to rightly handle the word. That brings us to our second point. Not just engaged workers in God's word, but equipped workers who know how to do God's word. We we read this verse last week, Ephesians chapter 4. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are the leaders, the building blocks of the church. Now he says, here's why he gave us the leaders. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Notice what he says here. The leader's job is to equip the people, to equip the saints to do the ministry, not just to do the ministry themselves. The work of God is not just for a few elite Navy SEAL Christians. This is for all of us to be participating in. And what's the goal? Where are we going? Verse 13. This will continue. This equipping will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So again, we see that our purpose here, our goal, isn't just to be spiritual babies, but to be spiritually mature adults. Now, a spiritually mature adult knows how to feed themselves, right? You don't want to, if you're, think about your, your physical meals. If you ate one meal a week, you wouldn't survive. If the only time we're in the Word is when we're coming here Sunday mornings and you're expecting me to feed you like baby birds, that's kind of a disgusting mental image, first of all. And second of all, that will not satisfy you. We need to eat all week. So how do we get to the point where we know how to feed ourselves? We talk about being fishers of men, and you know the old proverb, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. And this is what we're trying to do here is to teach the saints how to do the work. How do we do the work of the ministry? Well, it starts by knowing how to rightly handle the word of God. But it's not just learning how to feed ourselves, it's learning how to also feed others. We're also called to be empowered workers. Not just how to feed ourselves, but how to feed others. We see this in 2 Timothy 2.2. This is Paul talking to his disciple, Timothy. He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see the train here? It says, Timothy, I taught you not just how to feed yourselves, yourself, but how to feed other people who can then go out and feed other people. This is making disciples who can make disciple makers. Reproducing disciples of Jesus. And this happens in the context of relationships. The Pauls and Timothys in our life that we're doing life together in the word with. And if this is the goal, this is going to change how we do Sunday morning, or how we do ministry. Can't just be Sunday morning, right? We can't make disciples like this just sitting in rows. We've got to be in the word on our own. We've got to be in the word together in small groups. We're not doing that. We are not going to be able to teach others to teach others. So we're called to grow in our believing God's word. But number two, we're also to grow in becoming like Jesus. As we believe God's written word, you know what's going to start to happen? We're going to start to look more like his living word, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Romans 8 tells us our purpose, where this is all going. 
says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So God's using everything in your life for good and toward one purpose. What is that purpose? Verse 29 tells us, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Why? So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus wants siblings, and he wants full-grown, mature siblings that he can relate with. Like when me and my brother, he's about four years younger than me, when we were little, we were babies, didn't, we, we, had, we had a relationship, but it was mostly just hitting each other, right, giving each other diaper wedgies. Like there wasn't a very, it wasn't a very complex relationship. Then as we grew older, he was just kind of the little annoying brother that tagged along, tried to hang out with me and my much cooler friends. And it wasn't until we became adults, I went to college, came back, realized like, oh, he's not a terrible person. And we started hanging out, having a relationship. And now as two grown adults, yeah, we still fight from time to time, but we have a mature, loving relationship. And this is what Jesus wants with us, full-grown siblings that he can relate with. And the more we look like him, the deeper and more rich of a relationship we can have with Jesus. So we are coming, becoming more like him. And this is the process of discipleship. I love Dallas Willard's, his definition of discipleship. He says, discipleship is learning to lead my life how Jesus would if he were me. Learning how to lead my life how Jesus would if he were me. It's not just copying what Jesus did. It's what would Jesus' life look like in my context? So if Jesus were Justin Blake Frankino, right? There I am at the wedding again, taking it very seriously. He says, if, 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 if Jesus was me, if, if <laughs> would be an upgrade. If Jesus was a strapping, handsome, 35-year-old, married to Jill, pastor at Peninsula Grace, half-replaced hips, how would he lead his, this life? If Jesus were me, how would he treat Jill? How would he pastor this church? How would he talk to people? How would he talk about people? How would he spend his time? How much of his time would he spend watching sports? How, how would Jesus eat if he were me? What would that look like? Well, how in the world should we know that? Well, we read the Gospels, right? This is Jesus with skin on, walking around as a human. And next week, this is exactly where we're going to go. We're going to start a series in Matthew together, looking at the life of Jesus. How did he spend his time? We see him spending a lot of alone time with his father, in a love relationship with his God. We see him spending a lot of time loving other people, serving other people, forgiving other people. And this is the life that we're called to live. Ephesians 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Why? Because you're his dear children. Children become like their parents. Has become like your father and your big brother. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Now, when we, it says to imitate Christ, this is not just like the word cheap, knockoff versions of Jesus. We're not like great value Christs walking around from Walmart. We're the real deal, as we'll see in the next point, as, we, as the very spirit of Jesus lives in us. But Jesus spent the bulk of his ministry, what did he do? He was making disciples of himself. The most loving thing that you and I can do on this planet, our short time here, is point people to Jesus. To follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. A healthy disciple is one who's becoming like Jesus, loving, forgiving, serving, and they're making other disciple makers of Jesus. And the third point, being led by the Spirit, as we believe more of God's word and we become more and more like his son, we will be more and more led 
by his spirit. Jesus said an interesting thing. The last thing he told the disciples in the book of Matthew, he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We saw this verse last week. Now Jesus says an interesting thing here. I'm with you always. And the very next thing he does ascends to heaven. Like, wait a second, what? You lie. No, Jesus is not a liar. What? What's he saying here? Remember what he told the disciples back in John 16. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know what's better than one physical Jesus walking around on earth? Millions of Jesuses in the flesh walking on the planet earth. He sent his spirit who indwells Christians, little Christs, we are not Jesus, but we are one with Jesus as his spirit lives in us. And this is what's cr the crazy truth of being a believer. This isn't just that Jesus died for your sins. Look at what it says in Romans 8. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Can we camp on that reality for a moment? The spirit of Jesus lives in us right this moment. And he says, just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living in you. The spirit lives in us. And as a result, verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. We who have been adopted into his kingdom of light have the very spirit of God living in us and leading us. And these, this is the way we make our decisions from this point forward. And this is why we're not just some cheap knockoff brand of Jesus. The very spirit of him lives in us. And this next verse in John, such a cool picture of the Trinity. Look at what it says, verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Father sends the Spirit in the Son's name to teach us and remind us of the words of Jesus. So when someone ticks me off and I'm ready to give them one, the Holy Spirit's like, no, remember what Jesus said, don't punch people in the face. Right? That's what he's here. Lead us and guide us back into Jesus' words. So we're being led by the Spirit. And what does that look like in our lives? We're going to start to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So how do we stop living the old way that clearly wasn't working and start walking the new way? We've got a new master now. It's not myself anymore. The Spirit leads me. The Spirit tells me what to do. The Spirit tells me how to treat people. Now, how do I know what that looks like? How do I know that it's the Spirit leading me and not the bad pizza I had last night? Well, he says he'll always glorify the Son. He's always going to be pointing you back to look like Jesus. And what does that look like? He tells us in the next verse. The fruit of the Spirit. This comes from the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the Justin. This is what the Spirit of Christ's life will look like in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to know if you're being led by the Spirit? You're going to start to see those kind of things in your life. You're going to be patient with people. You're going to be, be long-suffering with people. You're going to be faithful to people, gentle with people, self-controlled in your actions. You're going to be filled with joy and peace with one another. That's what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. Again, Dallas Willard's definition, learning to lead me life. <laughs> That's a Scottish version. Learning to lead me life, how Jesus would if, if he were me. The Spirit of Jesus now gets to decide how to lead my life, not me any longer. This is growth and surrender. Saying, God, how would you have me spend my time? How would you have me treat that person that burned me? How would you have me see the enemy? How would you have me live 
my life. And I love a pastor named Jeff Jernigan. He summed this all up better than I could have. He puts this all together for us in this paragraph. He says, the process of maturing in Christ, this is where we're moving, the goal of completing Christ, is not a program measured by performance. Those are false measuring sticks. But rather an ongoing journey measured by progress. God isn't interested in how many devotionals we have had, how many Bible studies we have completed, how much time we have spent in prayer, or how often we have witnessed. Again, those are not bad things, but look at the big if here. If those disciplines are performed from a sense of duty, void of love. Devotions, Christian activity, and attendance, without love, you gain nothing. It's a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, and it's a stench in his nostrils. But he says he is far more concerned with the progress of our relationship with a living Savior. But let him who boasts, boast of this. Not how often we go to church, not all the outward activity alone. But boast of this, that he understands and knows me. This is eternal life. To know your God and the Savior that he sent. Growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is the true measure of maturity in Christ. We should not be primarily concerned about each other's attendance and performance. Again, those are important, and those can be indicators. But are we growing in a loving relationship with God through his Son? Are we believing God's word? Are we becoming like Jesus, and are we being led by his Spirit? Now, notice something here and we get grammatically nerdy on you for a second. These are continuous verbs. That means it, 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 they, they continue progress, believing God's word, becoming like Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit. This is not an arrival. This is a journey of growth. This is a process. One of my favorite quotes about discipleship is that discipleship is a direction, not a location. Discipleship is a direction, not a location. Listen, we are all over the map in this room right now in our own journeys and where we're at along the line. The point isn't where you're at. The point is what direction are you moving? Are you moving toward the heart of God? So ask yourself this question. Am I becoming more like Jesus today than I was a week ago, or a month ago, or a year ago, or a decade ago? Am I believing more of his word now than I used to? Am I being more led by his spirit today than I was five years ago or when I was younger? See, of course, this isn't some every day you're going to grow the same amount. It's a journey, and it's messy, and you're going to backtrack here and there. But the question is, am I moving in the right direction? And this is more difficult to measure than just programs attended and performance achieved, right? We've got to count what God counts. We've got to care about what God cares about. These are the, these are the measures of growth toward moving to completion in Christ, finding him as your source of everything. So how do we do this? How, how do we become doers of God's word, not just hearers? Well, we've been given homework assignments for this series, and I've got a couple steps for us to take, a couple little steps that we might be able to take. And again, for some of us, these are big steps. I mean, we're all in different places. One little step would be to read the Bible every day for one week. That maybe you would say, one step I'm going to take, I've got to learn how to feed myself. I cannot be a doer of God's word if I'm never a hearer of God's word. So maybe for you, it's just saying, I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day in God's word this week. Or maybe it's just five minutes a day. We've got to start somewhere. I encourage you to find a consistent time. I know we all have got slope schedules, we've got kids, we've got all these kind of things. Often it's going to be early in the morning before other people are awake. But where's a consistent time that I can meet with the Lord? And listen, this is, again, this is not just to check it off the list and make God happy with us. 
This is a place to meet with our God. And what we'll find is those little, every day in his word, they might, today might just be one little drop, but over time, it becomes an ocean, a tidal wave, moving toward knowing our God in a deeper and deeper way. Maybe a little step you could take is to identify an area of growth for this coming year. As we're getting toward the end of 2019, maybe it's just identifying one area that you need to grow. I, I did this just a couple weeks ago, kind of sat down. Where am I going in my life? Examining myself before my God. And I saw three areas of growth for me. One of them was generosity. I can be a stingy, stingy person. Frugal, I like to call it. Another area would be self-control. Areas that I'm given to compulsion. And then my mouth. You won't believe it, but my mouth can t- get me in trouble from time to time. And so I said, Lord, these are three areas that I need to believe your word about, what you say about those things. I need to become more like your son in those areas. And the way I'm going to do that is being led by your spirit in specific thoughts and attitudes and actions. So maybe it's just identifying one area of growth in your life and say, I want to press into these three areas of growth um, in, in this way. And, and now maybe it's time for a big step. And one of the ways you can consider is um, we got a Bible class. We're excited about this. We're going to be launching this in February. Um, This is a new thing we're going to be doing. Pastor Ross and I, we're hoping to uh, offer one of these every semester. This is going to be an 11-week course in how to study the Bible. And what we're going to be doing, we want to take this seriously, right? We want to learn, we want to equip the saints to do the work, to feed themselves and feed other people. And if we don't know how to study the Bible, we're not going to be able to teach the Bible. So we want to take, there's going to be homework, going to be reading. Now, this is not seminary level. Anybody can come in and, and, and totally follow along. This is for everybody. We want to take this seriously, and we're going, to, we're going to offer this Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. We've talked a lot as we went to two services about an attend one, serve one mentality, that we want people not just inputting, but also outputting. Talked about it last week, going out. And so we're going to have the exact same class offered a second hour Sunday mornings and then Wednesday nights. Pastor Ross is going to teach it second hour Sunday mornings. That's going to encourage first service attendance. You guys are awesome. And so maybe, because we want to see people serving, so maybe on Wednesday nights you're serving with our children's program, or our youth programs, and so then that way Sunday morning you can worship in the first hour, attend the Bible study in the second hour, and then serve Wednesday nights. Or maybe you're on the worship team, or you are a greeter, or, or serving some way Sunday mornings, then you can serve and worship Sunday morning and then attend the Bible class Wednesday nights. This gives options. We want to create space. We don't want people busy every night of the week. So we're trying to condense that and make that possible for people to engage in. So maybe for you it's taken that step and what you can do is just sign up back at the welcome table if you check the contact card for growing pastor ross will will call you follow up with you and in the weeks to come we'll, we'll give you more space to be able to enroll in that class Another way, another big step we could take. Uh, we also have another cool tool. It's called a prayer and reading calendar. And they were too big to jam into your bulletin. So they're sitting in the back at the welcome table. would encourage everybody to grab one on their way out. What we've done, we're going to be starting to study through the book of Matthew starting next week. But what we don't want is just you to come and hear what I have to say or Pastor Ross has to say about Matthew week after week after week. We want you in Matthew yourself. We want you reading it for yourself and reading it in community with others, talking about it, asking questions about it, seeking how to apply it and grow in the truths as we behold Jesus in his gospel. And so one of the tools that we want to offer for that is is as a daily reading plan, we're going to walk through the book of Matthew. There's also corresponding passages to other Old Testament scripture that relate or Psalms or Proverbs or the epistles. We're going to be all over the Bible in this thing. And every day, kind of walk through reading this together as a church. And also with it, it has daily prayer points. 
that we want to be praying together as a church. We have missionaries in our church that we support to pray for, uh, those who are serving and attending here. We want to pray for our lost in this community and the world beyond. Have a couple teaching uh, prayer tools called Acts Prayer and Flash Prayers that the beginning of the, of the calendar kind of explains what those look like and how they work. But the heart of it is we want, we want to be equipped workers, approved workers who are not ashamed, who know how to feed ourselves in the word and teach others who can teach others. And this is a tool that can help us walk toward that. So we stepped back this month and said, wait, why are we at this party? God created this beautiful, wonderful world for us to live in. And, and then we went our own way in sin, but Jesus brought us back to the intention that God originally had for us in imaging God. Jesus is going to come back any day now. We don't know when that is. We've got to stay focused on the mission at hand, which is to make as many disciples as possible before Jesus comes back, to present everyone complete in Christ. That's why we said our vision statement is to be a gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. A gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. How do we move toward this end? We need everybody in our church believing more of God's word, becoming more like Jesus, and being led by his spirit. This is the way we move toward the goal of knowing and worshiping our God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for not just creating us with a purpose, but then letting us know what that purpose was through your word. And then even when we failed miserably at accomplishing that, you sent Jesus to do what we could never do. He came for us what we could never be to you, that the kind of human that you had originally intended, that trusts you, knows you, loves you, obeys you, and does your will here on earth. And now through Jesus, where we can enter back into a love relationship and get back on mission to reproduce disciples of Jesus to the glory of God. And Father, as we've walked through your word today, we know the Holy Spirit's convicting people in different points. Maybe it's that some people here need to get into your word. Some people need to grow in some of those areas that they're identifying. We just pray that they would just follow your lead, listen and obey to the areas that you're poking at their heart. Because you're not just concerned about the externals, God. You want to change our hearts. You want to free us from sin. You want to give us true life, which is knowing and walking with you. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We want to celebrate Jesus in that. It's all because of him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.